Hey, quick disclaimer, we're adults, we're going to swear and cuss during this show, so please put on some headphones if you're listening in public. Alright, thanks. Enjoy the show. Hey everyone, this is She's Gotta Watch It. I'm Maya. I'm Raven. And this is a podcast where we talk about all the shows we just had to watch. <laughs> Today we're talking about Watchmen. Watchmen. <laughs> Hopefully you enjoy the show. Let's get it. Sorry. <laughs> it's been a while. It's been, I think, a good month since we, or more, since we re- recorded the podcast. And my mind just went completely blank. I was like, I don't know what this thing is about anymore. Well, it's partly because, you know, we've kind of been avoiding this particular show a little bit. True. There's some feels that are being had about Watchmen. Mm-hmm. So, for anyone who doesn't know, because you're living out of Iraq, because let's be real, they push this show hella hard. Mm-hmm. If you don't have HBO, you probably know that Watchmen is a TV series on HBO. It was originally a comic uh, came out in the 80s, done by Alan Moore, Dave Gibbons, John Higgins was a colorist. I think shout outs to everybody who do, you know, mm. the important stuff in the thing. I know Moore and, and Gibbons get most of the, the credit and talk. Um, and it was a, it was considered a, a phenomenal comic. Like, it was considered a comic that changed the comic industry. Um, it showed the darkness of a superhero story. Um, it showed that comics in general could have just more maturity and more depth. Um, and those weren't things that you saw in comics necessarily. I mean, you did, but not in the same level. Um, and it won a lot of awards, got a lot of attention. Um, and it's been so important to the DC universe, apparently, that uh, they haven't let it go out of print since it first came out, which apparently pisses off Gibbons because there's the rights of it it's supposed to revert back to him and more um, once it's been out of print for a certain amount oh, of time. Wow. Yeah. And it hasn't gone out of print yet. So they don't have any rights to it. Um, wow. Yeah. Learned that recently. So this is how important this body of work is, is that DC's holding on to this real, real hard. <laughs> Um, there's been a movie that came out in the early 2000s. I, I never watched the movie, and I don't think you did either. Um, but now, you know, the longevity of it all is that it's been brought back. It's as a TV show now, um, starring Regina King. And it is, the show isn't exactly like a recreation of the comic. Mm. Um, I think you're the one who said that, like, on some level, it's sort of, kind of, not really, but a little bit-ish, like a sequel to the main body of work. So there are other comics in the Watchmen universe. There's the Minutemen series, which is basically, like, my understanding, like a prequel to, like, Watchmen. Um, and I think there might be even some things that kind of came after. But this is supposed to be, like, you know, a televised version of what could have happened after the end of the comics. Um, and it they took a very interesting turn with this because they decided to make it about race relations in America. Mm. Well, sort of (laughs) about black and white people in America. 
because like no one else really exists in this except for like Vietnamese people and Vietnamese Americans and you don't really know what their proximity is to racial issues in America in this because of how it gets presented in the show but we'll get to that um so let's talk first impressions um Mm. season one is over we technically don't know if there's a season two yet right yeah I mean I think when it first came out it was supposed to be a limited series but popularity sometimes dictates a second a second season so I think if the show was Big Little Lies was initially supposed to be a limited series but it got so popular that they decided to do a second season and apparently the second season really flopped so which is why I haven't watched it yet (laughs) (laughs) so I think there's this sense from a lot of fans that this was a hit it was done really really well and they want a second season and they want Damon Lindelof the showrunner of this first season to continue his work on with Watchmen um and I think that there's sort of a double-edged sword there so like you could do it and you then you could do it well but then you can also do it and, like, not do it well. Sophomore slump, like with Big Little Lies. Which, by the way, every time I hear Big Little Lies, I hear Big Little Eyes. Mm. <laughs> and it confuses me, even though I've watched the show, at least the first season. And I know that it's not yeah. Big Little Eyes. But I don't even but... know if it's... It's a weird to say it's, like, it's a sophomore slump when it's not even supposed to be a long-running, hmm. you know show it's really supposed to be like an experience so it's kind of like if you try to do a second season you could just basically be biting off more than you could chew well it's kind of like if you do a second season where do you take it right so i think the labor of your imagination has to elevate because at least with the first season of things that are supposed to be limited series that come from source material they always use the source, the source material, material so heavily that any audience always questions how do you push it forward right and i think with watchmen what was so interesting is that the source material is so rich that even in this first season you couldn't even really put everything in there right like it had to be a very like sort of slow methodical create homage to the original right because i think going back to damon lindelof as a showrunner who has like this really big personal history with the with with watchmen and and the official podcast series he talks a lot about reading it as a kid and it having a lot of influence on him growing up and so for him he doesn't really it's weird because he says something, I think, in the last episode about how he doesn't really care if people like it as long as they understand it as something that circulates within the Watchmen universe, right? So, mm-hmm. like, it paid homage to the original without... Um, Damaging... With- yeah, kind yeah. of, so with, like, without being insincere, right? Yeah, without being not trying to pull a J.J. Abrams and just wreck a whole <laughs> franchise. Right, without, you know, it's like or taking two. the name of something and taking, like, a few elements mm-hmm. and then being like, look, it's Watchmen, 
versus really saying okay well what makes this series what it is like what makes a comic what it is and let's put all of that into the tv show so even if you don't like the overarching arc of the show at least you can appreciate the references that we put in there and the way that like they strung the story together to give you the feel that they're telling you the story of um or telling you a story that has the ethos of the original comic. Mm. Um, and so, for me, I'm like, I don't really think there should be a second season. I was about to say, I want to ask you that. Yeah, no, I don't think there should be a second season. Because I do think there is something to um, creating a moment. Or creating, like, just this mood or feel around a, a television series. Um, that allows you to give people something to think about and allows you to bookend it, you know? So let me ask you another question off of that. Do you think that this limited series run is worthwhile for people to watch at all? Mm, I think it is. I think it's worthwhile for people to watch. (laughs) I think I should back up because that's a trick (laughs) question. I think for me, it was worthwhile to watch just because I study a lot about television. So within the, you know, uh, sorry, our contemporary culture of like what's circulating out here right now, I think this is one of the the most like explicit things about racial tensions between white and black Americans that has aired on tv like the conversation around it has been really interesting and because we're in this moment of like hyper television production and hyper like uh, like media production like representations of what it means to be black in america and multiple representations of that are really important Mm -hmm. um and i think that in this moment there needs to be a conversation about white people doing this work white people like realizing oh racism exists maybe i should use my platform and my like power and influence to be an ally and actually push those narratives forward right and i think that's kind of what i mean that's not kind of that is what happened in the situation you know like damon lindelof and the i think it was the first episode of the official Watchmen podcast talks a lot about how um i think he read like uh ta-nehisi coates between the world and me the white man whisperer <laughs> that's how i think about ta-nehisi coates. oh my goodness he's the white man whisperer and he talked about um and how he also read like case repar- uh, reparations and having this moment where he was like damn racism exists <laughs> like that's how you could like, that's how you Surprise! can sum it up like I mean, honestly, that's how I sum it up. It's like, damn, racism exists. Like, black folks in America are severely disadvantaged when it comes to trying to succeed because there's all these systems put in place to make us not succeed, right? And so the fact that we do that is extraordinary. I'm saying that, the extraordinary part. He didn't really say that. I just think it's extraordinary that we succeed in a system that is not built for our survival, right? Um, So when Watchmen came to him as something that he could do he decided to make it a story about race when it didn't necessarily need to be that because the original source material isn't about race it 
I mean, it, it is about race. Sorry, let it, me correct myself. It discusses race, but minimally. Yes. Let me. No, well, let me correct myself mm-hmm. because it is about race because it's about disaffected white men and white people are race. So it is about race. Well, but there's also moments in the comic that touch on race. Like there's interactions with mm-hmm. black characters where, you know, there's and I haven't, I haven't gone over all these things with you because I like uh, I know I've read the comic. You didn't get to read um, read all of it, but there. There's, like, I told you about the psychiatrist mm-hmm. um, who's black, who deals with Rorschach after Rorschach gets arrested. There's this particular interaction that I'm thinking of between um, this woman who's trying to find her husband, who I think was, hus- was it was trying to find the psychiatrist, now I'm thinking about it. Um, it's been a minute. But basically she, she goes up to, like, this white newsstand owner and is like, Hey, have you seen my husband? He comes and gets paper from you, like, or he walks this way. Not sorry, he gets paper from you, but he walks this way past the newsstand, like, on his way home on the regular, and I, I need to find him. And, you know, this dude's like, why don't you go talk to the black dude selling whatever else on the corner, like, watches or something, like, on the corner? Like, he probably knows him. And she's like, what do you think we all know each other? <laughs> like, there's these moments. But that's there's all these moments where it's like hella racist, and it's like, there's this one character who does nothing but say, shit and talk about how the white man's being jive and i know it takes place in the 80s but you're like this is what british white men thought about black people which was they were woke woke enough to be like not all black people are the same but we still gonna to show a range of black people we'll make sure to include the dude who's going she y'all being jive turkeys blah, 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 blah. like it was this he, he, the only the only two things they knew were middle America black people, which maybe because Cosby's were out around that time, like maybe that was a thing, um, mm. and then black exploitation black people. Mm. So that's the representation you get in Watchmen of black folks. It, but it's it's very clearly intentional though. Right. <laughs> but it's the only two things you get. Right, and I I guess my clarification had more to do the with, whiteness. Yeah, the yeah. whiteness and the way that so people and the way that people when they talk about race, when things are predominantly about white people, they say that it doesn't involve race. Mm-hmm. And we can't forget that white folks constitute a race and that their invisibility and the way that they move and create culture and disrupt culture is the reason why we keep having these repeated conversations around sort of whiteness, white privilege, racial oppression, because if you literally can't name whiteness and white people as a part of like a racial construction, then how are you supposed to address the harms that those people and that concept do, right? And so I think there's, this might be a um, unnecessary split, but I do think there is something to think about the way that like, White men, white men, <laughs> Washmen. People <laughs> <laughs> rename it white men. <laughs> I do think there's something about uh, the original comic Washmen being about sort of like um, disaffected white men as also being a comic about race that has very little commentary about race relations, right? Mm-hmm. And then thinking about sort of like. Damon Lindelof and also whether or not I will watch it or if I think it's worth watching I think it's interesting that he's coming from this perspective of a white man 
who like literally in the past couple of years was like racism exists. I should do something to help rectify that. And this is the platform that I choose to do it. And for me, sometimes for and for me, I think that that made the show more directed towards people who needed to be convinced that racism exists. Yes. And I think that's why for me, it's like it wasn't necessarily something I needed to watch and or wanted to watch. And I think one of the reasons is I didn't grow up with Watchmen. And even though I'm really into comics, I'm someone who's new to comics. So I tend to like read comics that are um, more contemporary in their style, in their style and like storylines and things like that. It's the after Watchmen effect. Yeah. And so I think that's one of the reasons why it didn't grab me as much as it grabbed people who are really into the comic, one. And then two, when it comes down to race and thinking about like black-white race relations, as someone who is African-American, in my mind, I was like, I don't need to see this because I live it. Like, this is my existence. These are my anxieties. This is my trauma, right? And I think a lot of... um, that show just made me more anxious than it did excited or like really interested in wanting to see more because there was so much about um, like dealing with the after effects of racism without any real sort of... um, or dealing with the after effects of racism, but it didn't feel like it was actually speaking to me. So I was like, why am I, why should I be invested in this? And so that's something that I'm still working through is trying to figure out, and this is why it took us so long to create this podcast because it was one of those moments where, at least for me personally, I, I, understand its importance but I also see it as something that was made by a white person for other white people and sometimes I have a hard time really diving in to media texts that are constructed that way because in my brain I start sort of like rearranging things how like I would do it as a person of color (laughs) y'all you have no idea how hard it was to talk about this like We've been trying to, like, I think I've been the one kind of poking and prodding to be like, we should do the episode, we should do the episode. So, like, even getting through the series itself, like, at one point I was like, okay, let's watch the next episode. And she was like, nah, (laughs) that can wait. Like, we started it, and within five minutes it was like, nah, this can wait. I can't do this. Like, we were, like, on track to watch it, like, week by week, and then we got behind by a couple episodes (laughs) because, like, you were not having it. Like, Maya was like, nah we ain't doing this today. And I was like, okay. Um, and, but I think the more we watched it, the more I, I think I understood where, where you were coming from. Cause I think for me, I mean, think texts like this do also in a sense, like turn me off, like even trying to read the source material, going back and watch, like reading like Watchmen, like as a comic book, I was like, God, this is just white people dealing with the shortcomings of being white in the whitest ways possible. It really is. Like, it's about the Cold War, which is what? A stalemate between white people, (laughs) the U.S. and the USSR, (laughs) because they want to kill each other, but they don't want to kill each other because they want to kill everybody because then there won't be any white people left. (laughs) 
<laughs> right? And then you got all these other white people who are panicking in the U.S. and this the shit that all really happened, where they're like, what do we do? Because, oh my God, we're about to kill ourselves. <laughs> I don't want to die yet. But I don't see a way out because mm-hmm. whiteness totally blocks my ability to figure out what other options there are. And then a white man, Vait, Vait, I always forget to pronounce his name for some reason, Ozymandias, because that's what he likes to call himself, whatever. His ass is like, oh, hold up. I got the whitest solution to that. We use fear. <laughs> we fake an alien use fear <laughs> attack on Earth. And we use fear. Mm. And you're like, fear will bring us together. I'm like, fear is already what's tearing you apart. Mm. But that's all what people know how to use is fear. Mm. And I think that's what makes those moments of black fear in the television show where it's very visual and visceral mm. so weird. Because I know there's one scene that we kept going back to. And it's a scene where um, Reeves, Grandpa Reeves, Hooded Justice, um, is you know, on the beat, or not on the beat, but, like, off, actually off-duty, and the white cops drive by, and they're like, hey, come drink with us, and he's like, fuck no, <laughs> thank you, I'm gonna keep walking, and then they decide they're gonna cut him off on his route home, and lynch him, for funsies, it wasn't really a lynching, it was just enough to scare him, so he wouldn't do dumb black people shit, like, try to prevent pe- racist people from, you know, harming folks, but, <laughs> um, and it's this scene where, uh, you get to see him being, like, lynched from inside the hood, right? Like, they put a, you know, bag over his head, they tie the noose around, and you're looking as much as you can see through the bag. It's like a point of view. Like, it's like a POV through the burlap sack. You're getting, you know, raised up in the air and then falling back down, and you're scared as shit. And you do get some outside shots of it, too, including um, the switchover where you see Regina King's character, um... Because she, at this point, has taken her grandfather's memories into her own mind. And so she's also experiencing this with you. Mm-hmm. So you're experiencing it as an audience. This character's experiencing it as another character. Um, it's a black char- black woman character experiencing what a black male character went through in the past. There's, like, all these... It's, like, literally generational trauma. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, to the extent that you can take that. Um, and as a black person, you're like... You know, I think you you have like you had this very particular like visual visual moment, but you just have this moment where you're like, I don't need to do this. Mm. I don't need to see and feel this. But I think what you said to me during that scene in particular really stuck though is that you're like, but the reason why we don't want to experience it is because, you know, we have that fear in us already. We have that knowledge in us. Like it's literally in our bodies. It's literally in our minds. It's literally things that we experience and re-experience every day through continued stories of the past and the present, mm-hmm. right? Like black folks still getting lynched in different ways now. Mm-hmm. Like it, none of this has changed, right? So this is still this very believable thing. So when you see it and you feel it, you're like, <sighs> like this could actually happen to me. But if you're a white person, even with that POV, like you know this isn't going to actually happen to you. Mm-hmm. Like, there isn't that same, like, out of... It's not really out-of-body experience so much as an in-body experience. Mm-hmm. Like, an embodied, fully embodied experience mm-hmm. of that moment. And you kind of get that a couple times throughout the series. Because for me, I think I actually had that more at the beginning. Because the beginning, they open with the Greenwood Massacre, um, where this lynch mob came and burned down part of Tulsa, Oklahoma. It was the 
neighborhood known as Black Wall Street. This really happened. And I got a little mad because the way when it when you depict things like that on TV, it takes place on the realness. Mm. Like because you're depicting it within a sci-fi story where you know that everything else is fake. Everything else is already like, you know, this uh sort of speculative fiction fucked up pessimistic Afrofuturism shit. <laughs> That's what they do with the rest of the show. Right? Um, but that moment was real. Mm. And, you know, like I have family in Tulsa. Like I got Southern history. Like so it's just a, a weird moment to experience and have to experience because it's a very prolonged, very obvious, like people were murdered graphic. and killed. It was what? Graphic. It's very graphic. Yes, it's super graphic. And to some extent, you're also experiencing it kind of as a child because you're, you're like little kid version of Grandpa Reeves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's part of his origin story is, you know, having experienced that. And it's like this whole, you know, thing where I'm like, but do white people understand that this really happened? Mm-hmm. And that this is something that black people had to be afraid was going to happen to them. And that this is something that black people are still afraid can happen to them. Mm-hmm. Like... You know, you still have relatively recent history of, like, the move bombing in Philadelphia. Like, regardless of where you think those folks stood in terms of being criminals or whatever, like, they bombed the whole goddamn neighborhood. A police department did that in the United States to United States citizens. Like, (laughs) y'all don't understand. And so, like, to have to throw so much graphic things out there and be like, do you get it now? <laughs> like, it's so ridiculous. It's like, it, and it's also, I I think there's probably that fear that it becomes desensitizing too. Because like, you already don't really feel this. You already don't actually know what it feels like to be afraid, you know, of how someone's going to treat you or having someone come into your home literally just because of the color of your skin unless you are a person of color. You don't know that. You just don't. Like... And so to see everything in the in a way that almost makes it feel exaggerated, even if it is actually close to what the real deal is, mm-hmm. it's just like, I don't know. I, I I wish I could talk to a white person right now and be like, does that? Do you actually believe this should happen? Do, do you feel something when you see this stuff? Mm-hmm. Like, do you actually like you know flinch when you you know are in that POV scene mm-hmm. where you're you know you as the audience is being lynched? Like, what? What goes through your mind? What emotions are there? What fears do you have? And I know there's like similar things that you might experience, right? Like, you know, we talk about how like women, you know, have to worry about, you know, walking home at night and like all these situations where where they could end up being like assaulted or sexually assaulted. And especially because there's a high rate of that, like one in four women, like, and you know, but we still have all these shows like Law and Order SVU that'd be like, let's talk about like rape and depictions of rape and do like are men watching that like, oh yeah, I get it now. Mm-hmm. Clearly not. <laughs> that's clearly not something that's adding to the education of our men and learning how to treat women, right? Like even if it's bringing wider awareness to things, even if it might make women feel like they're understood by each other, right? Like you know, like it shows that like women of all colors, women of all like sexualities, women of all like scales of gender identity, you know, from trans women to like women who might actually identify as non-binary, like all these people are now being shown on TV as having this experience and there's a 
solidarity that happens there. The solidarity that happens with like the Me Too movement of being like, someone finally told this story. I don't have to hold my story in anymore and all that. And the same thing happens with the black community in these kinds of moments with shows like Watchmen. But at the same time, kind of like you said, when this clearly like a white dude trying to teach other white dudes about race, you're like, but are you teaching them shit? Like, is this actually going to change anything about race relations in America? Is it that pivotal? Can it be that pivotal? Is that possible? Like, especially from this perspective. Um, because we see what we try to do with other genres and other types of trauma. And it's not, it, it doesn't translate. Because it's not already ingrained in white folks to see these atrocities as atrocities. Mm. Or to feel the anguish to feel the pain to feel the fear like it's not there and we know this because as is demonstrated kind of by the source material what do i feel scared of most really it's what other is white people it's themselves because they don't understand themselves half the time they really don't <laughs> i think what's really interesting about what you're saying is um is whether or not like, what's the role of, I mean, largely what you're saying is what's, what's the role in te- of television mm-hmm. and intervening in societal issues, right? Does it have a role? Can it play a role? And what is it, right? Um, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to be misheard in saying that, like, I don't think that this is an important or pivotal moment, right? I don't think one piece of media can change the world. If that was possible, I think it probably it probably would happen because there's there's been a lot of powerful pieces of media that presumably should have changed the world, but they don't. And I think it's about um, activating different folks, right? Like I see television as a part of a larger media scape, a part of larger conversations and social movements that try to creatively find a way to activate people's imaginations so they start to rethink the way that society may work right and they start to rethink the type of society that we live in today and they can take imagery from something that is even if it's like you know sci-fi thinking about the ways that sci-fi is always based in our real experiences, right? It's taking those real experiences, like you said, speculating on them, and then creating, uh, like, different iterations of the world we currently exist in or pushing those world, worlds further. So I think there is something within, like, that large question about, very important about, like, the work that this show is doing especially for folks who, and I think we talked about this, who after they watched that first episode, went to Google, and That's there's true. like an uptick in Google searches on Tulsa, and like whether or not that actually happened. Because there were people who were sitting there thinking that shit didn't happen, right? And it's also interesting to think about the ways that it's not just white people. Like we're talking about it right now in the context of like white-black relations, because in a way that was the bulk of the show. Um even though we know that Dr. Manhattan intervenes in the Vietnam War for America mm-hmm. and then, like, Vietnam becomes, um, like, a colony of the U.S. Um, and what's really interesting about that whole story is, and I think Raven brought this up earlier, 
is for me the whole like existence of like Vietnam and like Vietnamese culture and people with like uh Dr. True or sorry Lady True Lady True my bad with Lady True is that it's weird to say within this whole conversation about like race and race relation like Asian American culture was there but it wasn't really explored in terms of what sort of like Asian American culture how Asian American culture is entangled with this broader conversation mm-hmm. we keep having having with uh, I'm sorry around like black white race relations in America like that's a larger conversation and to I think there's like a lot more nuance and messiness that like if there is a second season that needs to be explored because it felt like they really didn't talk about what it meant for Lady True to kill all the white supremacists, but then still go through with killing Dr. Manhattan, who in this iteration is a black man. Previously a Jewish man. <laughs> Previously a Jewish man. Or Jewish boy. Sorry. And I think there's something to say about sort of that, I don't know, like triangulation or like that you can whatever geometric shape you want to call this relationship, given the fact that there's been a lot of, like, history and scholarship and misinformation about sort of the relationship between Black communities, Black American communities in the United States and Asian American communities in the United States, right? And, like, this idea that there is sort of this model minority myth that people still believe in which elevates Asian Americans over other like communities of color, which isn't true, but it undercuts solidarity between us all because we're not talking about the ways that those conversations are actually pushed for because of like the like, white supremacy, right? Yeah. Can we talk? Can we talk for just a second about like the literal death of the model minority myth in this when they were like. Should Lady True be allowed to have Dr. Manhattan's power so she can change the world for the better? And then there's like this very brief discussion between the main white characters being like, like, but maybe she could really do it. And then Vate being like, nah, no one should have this power. And you're like, but she is a woman of color. And in theory, that means that maybe she does know some things about how this world should be run differently and how things could be different. Like, she could literally bring a different culture that you don't understand and can't currently comprehend. And because of that, you were like, nah, we just squash that. Right. And <laughs> I think like she's something... not She's not close enough to whiteness to let... Well, there's this debate about whether or not she's, clo- is she's well, too close I don't, I don't and not into, close enough I don't want to get into that one, but I think, I think your point is still there, though, right? Like, the there isn't enough space... For even that conversation to happen. That like this Mm -hmm. is literally another like culture. Like this is literally another space at which if someone were to collect power and have influence over how the world might look and how it might, you know, be reconstructed, who's to say that's actually bad, right? And like what you're saying, like I think what you're saying is important is that the only hint that we get that it might actually be bad it or there would be like a bad outcome is these two white men talking about you know lady true and what she may do with it 
but we never get like this exploration of like i think a lot like what she wants to do with it right she's Mm -hmm. just like i'm gonna change the world but how and i think it's interesting that we then have like dr manhattan who you know is black now was jewish and presumably is now a black woman but no one questions that like no one was like when dr manhattan went through all these other iterations of people of color like shit didn't blow up like Mm -hmm. there was no world domination it was like i intervene when i intervene i'm experiencing time in this really weird like simultaneous way but for the most part people got to live their lives like if this power was all consuming then how is Cyclops actually going about what Cyclops is doing, right? Mm -hmm. Without this intervention. And I think there's something there about the ways that whiteness imagines power, imagines dominance that you got to earlier about power must always come through force, must always come through dominance, right? Um, And so I don't think it's coincidental that, like, Dr. Manhattan kind of disappeared after Vietnam. I was like, damn, that happened. Like... But we don't really get to, like, explore that. And maybe it's just shortcomings because I, like, haven't read the comic or, like, don't know a lot about, like, Dr. Manhattan's origin story to really understand why he didn't come back <laughs> after that. He's like, I gotta disappear. Because if I don't disappear, people will use me in this set in, in a way that I don't have the capacity to understand because I'm experiencing so much at one time that to really disaggregate the eventual flow and consequences of one singular event i think is kind of difficult um and so and to be like enacting an event while you also the consequences but you can't stop time you can't so it's like so entangled that it's like it just needs to happen like things just need to happen and so if i'm present i'm going i'm a i'm a variable i'm more so a variable than what i would be right and I think the question is like, what would that very what would those situations look like if Lady True actually, you know, got that power? Yeah. So just to speak a little bit to like Doctor Manhattan and what we know about from the comic book versus the TV show and the, the diverse, sure. just to bring that up, um, I think one of the fascinating things is that in the comic book, Doctor Manhattan basically is like people ain't worth saving. Mm-hmm. Like, this is literally, he basically has a, um argument with his, at the time, girlfriend, who is Silk Spectre, but in the TV show, gets turned into a lady version of Night Owl, basically. Um, but he has, like, this argument that he tells her, we're gonna have this argument, because that's what Dr. Manhattan does, right? It's like, we're gonna do this thing. Um, and the argument is basically about how people aren't worth saving. Like, they just aren't. Like, life isn't special enough for that. Like, if humans go and kill themselves, let humans kill themselves. Like, it just proves how unspecial they really are. (laughs) And so it's all about her trying to convince him about how humans are special and unique and important. And he has literally, like, in the comic book, he's gone to Mars and built this whole beautiful, like, spaceship thing. And he's like, look at them rocks. Them rocks are totally cool. (laughs) Look at this planet. This planet is totally cool. And it don't need life. It ain't got life. It could have had life, but it don't, don't it? It didn't even need any microbes. It was just like, I'm good. I'm gonna make these beautiful rock formations. Look at that rock. Like, he's literally doing that thing where he's talking to her, but then, like, 
his attention doesn't hold long enough in our terms. Mm-hmm. So he's like talking to her normal and then being like, look at that. <laughs> and eventually she helps him realize that life is unique and special. The most fucked up way possible, by the way. Um, so her origin story is that her mother was almost raped by another he- superhero because her mother was also a superhero. The comedian? Yeah, the comedian. Um, and then later on actually had apparently is one instance of consensual sex with him after the attempted rape. And uh, she finds, and part of this whole argument is her realizing from things John's saying that the comedian is her father. Hmm. And so she's like, but look at my life. All this like fucked up stuff happened. And John or Dr. Manhattan is like, you know what, you're right. What are the odds that your mother's almost rapist and, you know, it's like sperm and her egg will come together and make you. You know what? That's like a one in a million kind of thing. Humans are interesting now. I'm cool with saving them. <laughs> That's like literally how this conversation goes. Um, and on the flip side, in the TV show, they take that kind of concept of like what is important and what is beauty. And I think you brought up how like, you know, they the the show creators or the at least you know talk about like beauty for the sake of beauty like in this like Dr. Mahan has very particular reverence for like humanity to the point where he goes and creates new beings that are based on humans basically Adam and Eve based off people from his past on Europa mm-hmm. and like one of the moons of Ju- the like largest moon of Jupiter like he goes and does all that and so that's what makes this whole his non-intervention thing so weird because you're like yeah you you clearly care about humanity um but he clearly has also has some limitations on what he will and won't do and like you said like why wouldn't that translate into future dr manhattans and what does it mean now if anything that god is a black woman Mm -hmm. i have to say that loud god is a black woman named regina king (laughs) Okay, name Angela in the series, or Sister Knight, but I guess mm-hmm. she can't be Sister Knight now, she's Dr. Manhattan. Sister Knight Manhattan, Dr. Sister Knight Manhattan Angela? You want one more? <laughs> no, I'm <You> good. <laughs> I'm good. For, for the record, though, I actually do like Regina King's performance in the show. Yeah. I think that's worth mentioning. Yeah, I mean, I liked all the acting, the actors in the show, and... From afar, <laughs> I actually like the construction of the TV show. Um, so from like what I was able to read from the comic and watching the HBO adaptation of it, I think they got the mood right, right? Mm-hmm. Like the sort of cold cynicism, the dry humor, the sort of um, like philos- philosophical language. Mm-hmm. about life and like everyone speaking in metaphors but not really like the <laughs> whole thing where yeah. you have to watch an episode a couple times to sort of understand what's actually happening here right like to understand people and i think that's something that we don't do a lot like everything is so fast like our interactions with each other are so fast that to sit down and to talk to someone and be like this is what i'm trying to say this is what i'm trying to communicate with you to you sometimes sounds like the conversations in the TV show because we haven't taken enough time to actually to actually sit down and listen and try to understand what someone's trying to say. 
right? And so I think they got the ethos of the comic uh, pretty spot on. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I keep coming back to the point that it wasn't that it was a bad show. It just wasn't a show for me. It wasn't something that I would have watched as soon as I did without this podcast. Because, one, I knew people would ask me about, like, what do you think about this show? Like, do you have an opinion about it? And two, I, like I said, I study television and race. Like, I think about that all the time. So to miss this would seem kind of off. (laughs) But I'm still, I still don't understand. Tell me, tell me. Tell me, tell me. I think I still have this unease about the types of representation of blackness that end up on TV so easily and in media so easily. Like, we always talk about, like, black trauma, but we hardly ever talk about black joy. And I think it doesn't necessarily need to be this either-or sort of dichotomy that I'm creating, but... And you, there's really no space in Watchmen for that. Except for maybe in the love story between Dr. Manhattan and Angela, right? Like, that's where sort of this hope and joy comes through. And I, I really enjoyed that aspect of it. But I think that when people want to do the work of um, sort of recuperating or intervening in black-white race relations in the United States, they always go back to trauma. Like, there, there really isn't, especially when it's white people, there really isn't an imagination of how do we think ourselves out of out of like systematic racism like how do we Mm -hmm. enact the changes that need to happen like what would a tv show look like that created some weird blueprint and like enacted that out on the television screen right like it stops at the present and there's this article i think was published in um on shadow and act and i'll link it in the website but it was about, it was complicating this narrative of time. So like all of Watchmen obviously is about time and how crazily entangled it is and how like everything has some relation to, every event has a relationship to another event. Um, but if you think about time linearly, then you're missing the point. So that's why Dr. Manhattan is really interesting because it's like, past, present, and future all combined together. It's like Doctor Who. <laughs> yeah. But blue. And with... Oh, you're, you're great. A, a limited range of emotion. You're great. You're great. <laughs> but what this article basically was talking about was how in doing all of that, it stops at the present. So in talking through this conversation around race with Watchmen, the police are a huge, huge mm-hmm. influence in the comics and therefore in the TV show. But there really isn't any, like, overall critical commentary about whether or not police should exist in general. Not even just masks or unmasked, but 
how it's not always just a few bad apples. It's the whole institution of policing in general Mm -hmm. that's been built on the backs of black folks. Like, you know, like Simone Brown's book on surveillance, on surveillance and how surveillance is literally built off of like the backs of enslaved people. So, and therefore people of color and black folks and that shit is still going on. And so what would it mean to insert that commentary into the television show? And it doesn't mean having, like, Angela Avar, and it, sorry, and it may not mean having Angela Avar, like, not be a police officer, but at least having a moment where she's like, damn, what does it mean to, to do this profession, right? Or even, like, when she fucking finds the, clans, the Klansman mask, having her stop and be like damn what the fuck is this like that sympathy moment i'm like i know people have personal relationships but if i ever found out a white person i knew had like a clansman's like robe in their closet i'm sorry i gotta cut it (laughs) like there is no redemptive feature because your whole premise is that i'm inferior like that is the premise so we could have had hella hella dinners together you could have partially raised my we cutting it because the the base reason why you're helping me isn't because you see me as a person it's because you see me lesser than you and you're trying to fix me for some reason like you have this sense of even if i'm around you you're still not at the same level as i am and therefore i'm elevating you and it's just like that's really messed up (laughs) Cause that's not what's happening here and so i think that for me the tension that i still feel around this show has to do with how people imagine like the place of black people and blackness like in our futures like in our in our everyday conversations and literally in our imaginations like if we had to sit down and talk about like what does it mean to be black in america in the past and in the present we could talk about the past we might be able to talk about the present there's very few people who are conceptualizing the future and that is why we are still in this place is that that future thinking isn't necessarily happening and it's not happening on spaces like Watchmen. And so if there's any reason to call for a second season, the reason really is to say if Regina King, Angela Abar is God is a black woman, what does that mean? Yes. Like that for me is the only reason to have a second season because we never push it that far. And does that also mean that you ha- you can go back to the original source material or would you have to like create a sequel to the original and create a totally different like mythos around around this character and the type of world and the type of sort of like um yeah, like soci- like social understanding or society around blackness. Like you would literally have to create a completely different way of thinking about it. And I, I don't know. I think that would be like a really interesting way to continue it. But if they didn't do it, oh, this is the part. This is what I was trying to say. Sorry. And it's also interesting because in doing a second season, 
I don't think Damon Lindelof will come back because he said he doesn't necessarily want to come back. Hmm. He wants someone else to take over that second season, which makes sense, right? And it isn't because he's like, I can't do it. He's, I think for him, it's like, this world is so complex and it's so rich and you can think about it and pull out so many different perspectives that his perspective shouldn't be the only one, yeah. right? And even though I've this whole entire thing, I've been like, white people be tripping, I think listening to the official podcast, which I think people should listen to it if you haven't listened to it already, you can tell that he's doing the work to think through like what it means to be white and male and in our society and then how does that translate into your work so releasing Watchmen I think is also a part of that work to be like I did this it should go to somebody else right right not me not another white man somebody else right to see like what their vision will look like and then his writer's room also had a, a lot of people of color in it and they're basically like you can't do that like it's really interesting the way that he talked about creating the series as a whole as something that was a collaborative effort and he'd be the first person to tell you that a lot of the ideas that people love came out of the writer's room and came from folks of color it was not him he'll even tell you some of the ideas he had he was like that was gonna be really problematic right he was like i could not have done this without people of color without black people <laughs> so i think there's there's space to create and build it up but again i think it's just for me it's just that on that spot of of imagination like if we're going to do that then you have to talk about the future the same ways that you talk about the past and the present because when you always have something that deals with the past the present also becomes the future yes so that's so I think that's where you and I definitely agree in terms of the series because my biggest gripe has just been the fact that it's this weirdly pessimistic Afrofuturism, pessimistic Asian futurism. Like it it's to me it's bizarre that, you know, the the best they could come up with was this idea of the clan turning into the seventh cavalry after after the following of former masked man hero anti-hero Rorschach um from the the comic book and that's how they brought Rorschach's legacy into the show um and it's like you know like yeah look at how far things have gone and technology's gone and god's a black woman now but by the way the clan's still the clan and (laughs) ain't nothing really changed except now they've incorporated ideas from Rorschach like and it was just kind of like okay you know it's like oh you know they kind of brought up how Hooded Justice was kind of sort of ish and magical Negro and he had like this superhuman strength that is a play on the stereotypes of like, you know, racist stereotypes of like black people and black men, but also actually his superpower. But like that kind of just falls off. Like mm. it's not like there's like a continued legacy necessarily of Angela being like superhuman mm. or like having any like particular power other than she's a person who's wearing a mask, which is really part of this whole interesting thing too about this the superhero story is that it's like Watchmen in general is the fact that it's, ba- it's just masked people it's just people vigilantes and masked it's basically just Batman times a hundred <laughs> but with like really terrible character flaws that are worse than Batman's already are um and or what we're to consider character flaws right and so it's just 
I don't know, from my, in my perspective, this is kind of, like, mind-blowing. It's like, yeah, we finally, you know, made, like, one of the top superheroes a black man, but when he's black, he doesn't have his powers because he has to hide them to actually enjoy life and have love. And you're like, well, that's kind of messed up. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously, it's necessary for the plot, but in terms of, again, like, you know, you're talking about, like, having black joy in there. It's like, yes, they get to, you know, Angela and John get to enjoy themselves as a couple, but it's also... But there's like they can't have their cake and eat it too. White superheroes can do that all the time. Hmm. Like... I think that's why part of it at the end, um, like the big message was, you know, you can't w- wear the mask mm-hmm. and heal too. Like you can't. Yeah. yeah. You can't go through life pretending like you are something that you are not. And in this case, it's like you can't pretend like you're not hurting. You need to strip that off and think about where the hurt is coming from, where the, where the frustration is coming from, and deal with it. And, and to that end, it's actually a very kind of poignant take from a black perspective on double consciousness. Like, you know, the idea of having two personas and having to hide one and you're still so polysexual to move on with life and heal. Like, I think it's interesting because I think double consciousness is because how you're seeing how you see yourself but it's also about the sense of like you know this like double awareness like understanding that you know you're black but you also live in a white world and so having to like what we call i mean i think you can think about code switching as like a product of that and like how do you survive in these spaces and um i think sometimes you can you can still have sort of a double consciousness without wearing a mask. Like it's, hmm. it's not a mask of survival. And I think that's the difference. It's not, it's a difference, but it's also a complication. So in the final scene, I also thought it was interesting. Cause like, I agree, like you can't run away from the things that hurt you, but you also need to be in the space where you can confront them. And I think until the <laughs> end of the series, she wasn't in the space where she could confront them. Yeah. And that needs to that needs to be built up. And the sometimes the things you need to do to create the spaces are more difficult than actually just confronting the than confronting whatever trauma or issue that you need to confront, right? You need to build a space and that's difficult. And once you do that, you can confront whatever you're running away from. But the construction itself is like super difficult. And I think that's, like, one of the complications in the last episode that I was like, ooh, I feel you, but also Mm. there's a reason why, you know, as black folks and, you know, folks of color, it, you wall yourself off because to expose yourself in a space that is not ready to receive you can be dangerous, Mm -hmm. even if that is you know, like, what you need to do to be okay. Sometimes you are not okay to survive, and you fight all your life to be in the spaces where you can finally just relax. Like, that's what we're fighting for. Like, that's what survival is. Like, having, finally having space where you can be you without questioning it, right? Um, And so I think that Yeah, I think that I I I hear what you're saying, 
and then like everything else it's like oh i just want them to complicate that but also let's be real it's an hour show and that's always people's excuses it's an hour show it's nine episodes they can't do everything can't do, do you see what the team of steven universe be doing with all they have they got 10 minutes that stuff be deep yeah it'd be deep <laughs> but it's also a children's cartoon <laughs> well it's also a children's cartoon that is heavily steeped in the imaginary world so like the but is Watchmen not heavily steeped in the imagine like it's steeped no. in a real world no let me let me finish let me finish too. i think that like steven universe is one of those shows that's like super good and it talks about the ways that like difference and oppression plays out and fucking universe uh but i think the fact that like is not hitting like a hot button issue like <laughs> watchman is like race 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 steven universe is like can you read between the lines and then if you can't we're gonna make this very explicit that this is about discrimination like this is about co- colonization this is about like the killing of people just because you don't understand them right and then we're gonna talk about the ways that like as someone who understands both cultures you could fight that shit and get allies and the allies can fight that shit and it's really great right and like consciousness rising about folks who are part of the oppression who are like fuck i am going to like help you fight right mm-hmm. but there isn't any like contemporary issue that it goes one-to-one mm-hmm. on right versus Washington's like one-to-one race yeah and i think that's that's the difference there and it makes it harder because when people watch it, they're looking for that one-to-one, right? They're looking for that, does this match to my actual life? Not, can I use this to, like, critically think about my life, right? Well, I mean, they're doing that, but, like, but, different. But, yeah, and, but that, and I think that's part of why we still have issues with the show, though. Because, like, you are correct earlier when you're like, you know, can any one show be, actually be pivotal and on its own change a, a conversation, change a dialogue, change a nation, Right. But there's, but there's also the fact that that is, for me, like superhero stories, sci-fi, fantasy, that's what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to like help take the audience to a, another level to where they're thinking past what they know because they can see the one-to-one, but they can also see something else past that, right? And is, and we keep, at least for me, I feel like we keep coming back to like how much does that sh- the show do that? How much does it produce that work or, you know, push his audience to produce that work? And I think that's what's frustrating about it for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for me, it's like, just because it, it didn't push me far, far enough doesn't mean it didn't push someone far enough. Mm-hmm. And I can watch it and see the elements in it that would have pushed someone far enough. And I can watch it and be critical of the elements that make me uneasy. And I think that you know, going back to your point, the uneasy part comes in sitting there and being like, well, people see what the show is trying to do. And if they don't, then what other types of enjoyment are folks getting from this imagery, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what other misconceptions are folks getting from this imagery? And that's just not something you can control. I mean, that's the way that, like, image reception and communication works. And it's the same reason why we can sit here and have a conversation and at the end of it think that we're on the same page and then go do what we talked about and then do two completely different things Mm -hmm. because 
at the end of the day, we don't necessarily learn how to communicate with one another. We just learn how to sort of argue and be right. And so communication is a real skill. And I think it's weird to say that, like, this is something that this podcast is about, is, like, how well do these shows communicate what they're trying to their message? Not everyone can be Mr. Rogers. (laughs) And whether or not those messages what messages we got from it and like how well they landed with us and how well and what we think about their ability to land with other people I think that's something that we're trying to like think through and like cultivate with this podcast and that's why the show is hard to figure out like what do we want to talk about how do we want to talk about it I think we had to talk about it with each other we had to talk about Watchmen with each other so many times just to try to organize our thoughts and I don't even think we got through a tenth of the things that we talked about with with each other but I think we got through enough of it that hopefully you know y'all kind of understand you know where we're coming from and we would totally love to like continue this conversation online so you can catch us at she gotta watch it on Instagram and she gotta watch on Twitter. Just testing you. Just testing you to see if you <laughs> remember our handles. Google our blog. and Yeah, because I think I actually am going to write something about this to kind of expand out some of the things that we didn't talk about. So, for instance, the, lyn- the lynching scene for me was huge and I just have so many thoughts on that that I think I'm actually going to write something about it. Yeah, so, you know, hit us up. You know where to find us. Leave some comments. You know, yay or nay? Do you want Watchmen season two? What do you think it means for God to be a black woman? Uh, And if there's any other shows you want us to watch, let us know because we are currently looking for things. And thank you for listening and sticking with us after that weird break. Our anniversary happened, my birthday happened, then the holidays happened. So hopefully we'll be able to produce a few shows for y'all in the next couple weeks. we're, We're learning. And yeah, thanks for... Thanks for being patient. Yay. Yay. <laughs> I don't know why we did that. Maybe it's because we love y'all. Okay. Catch you later. See you on the flip. Are you going to do a bye-bye beatbox bye-bye? Beatbox bye-bye. Beatbox bye-bye. Beatbox bye-bye. Beat, beat, bye-bye. Beat, beat, bye-bye. Beat, beat, bye-bye. She's got to watch it.